Welcome back to the Anthony Bradley Show. I'm your host, Anthony Bradley, and today we have a remarkable guest with us who's found success not only in his academic pursuits and his personal growth in college, but he's also a dedicated member of a fraternity. Meet Kratim Shaw, a sophomore at the Ross School of Business at the University of Michigan. He's also a proud brother in the Alpha Delta Phi fraternity. This fraternity stands out for its mission-driven approach, fostering holistic personal growth through social development, ethics, leadership, academics, community service, and literary pursuits. In this episode, we will dive deep into Kratim's journey as a student and his experiences within Alpha Delta Phi, exploring how it shapes him into a well-rounded, future-ready individual and how it does the exact same things for the brothers with whom he shares this experience. So whether you are seeking inspiration or if you're just curious about fraternities, you're in for a treat. So stay tuned for our discussion with Kratim Shaw right here on this episode of the Anthony Bradley Show. Thank you again for joining me on this episode of the Anthony Bradley Show. I am really excited today on the heels of an absolute shellacking of Michigan State by Michigan. I'm talking to a fraternity member on that campus. Tim, thank you so much for joining me on on the Anthony Bradley Show. Thank you so much for having me. Really excited about this opportunity. So as I mentioned in our little introductory conversation, I'm really trying to help show that fraternities are not horrible things and they're actually can be good things, even at really big football schools like the ones in the Big Ten, the ACC, et cetera. I'm wondering, you are a student at Michigan, and I'm wondering what drew you to Michigan in the first place. Where are you from initially? I am from Allendale, New Jersey, so that's Spurgeon County, New Jersey. It's all the way up north. I'm about 10 minutes from upstate New York and about like 45 minute drive from New York City for not counting traffic. So if I'm going to drive to Ann Arbor, it's going to be about a 10 hour drive. It is quite far from home for me. And I guess what initially drew me to Michigan was, of course, the academics. I come from a very academically oriented family. Both my parents are immigrants from India, and they were both first-generation college students, so they had a very heavy emphasis on education throughout my entire life. And I knew that I wanted to study business, I wanted to study finance. And so my entire application goal going into college was, let me run through this top 20 list of best business schools in the nation and just apply and see what happens. And the University of Michigan at the time, the Ross School of Business was ranked number three. And that was where I got into. And that was the best school I got into. And then I came here for my admit day and I absolutely just fell in love. It had a different feel. I know everybody says this, but University of Michigan really does have a different feel than any other campus. Sunday through Thursday is a grind. And then Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night are some of the best times of your life. And then it's right back to that grind. And everybody here knows that academics comes first. And everyone here is extremely smart. Like there's not a single person that I've met that I think doesn't deserve to be here. 
So you did not want to stay in the tri-state area. I lived in New York City for about 14 years, and I have some family in Inglewood, New Jersey, over there in, in Bergen County. So I, I know that that neck yeah. of the woods there very, very well. So you are not, you're like, I'm out of here. New Jersey, the, New York City, Connecticut, I'm out. I'm going all the way to the Midwest to the University well, of Michigan. Well, the original goal was wherever I get into that has the best academics. So at the time, that would be Wharton or Stern. Those were one and two. And Stern is at NYU. I have an older brother who goes there. And so the goal is, I mean, be like my older brother. I'm going to go to Stern. I can still live at home. I can save on housing. It's going to be cheap. Come out with less debt. And then I ended up getting waitlisted. And I had visited my brother at Stern multiple times. And once I visited Michigan, I very, I mean, it's, you can't really compare them, but it's two very different types of colleges. And I fell in love with Michigan a lot more than I fell in love with Stern. Now, when you were in high school, were you thinking about joining a fraternity? Was that on your mind? Absolutely not. I never once thought in my high school, middle school or elementary school career that I'm going to join a fraternity. I had always been a very, very quiet kid. I mean, not to toot my own horn or anything, but like, I thought of myself as like a decently smart kid that like very academically focused. I played a few sports. I played soccer. I played golf. I had never been a partier. I had never gone to a single party throughout my entire time in middle school or high school. I was kind of like a, I guess you could say like a loner a little bit. And I had never thought that a fraternity would be something I would ever be interested in. And so when you were a freshman and you saw a Greek life up and close for the first time on the campus in Michigan, what do you think? What, what were your impressions of Greek life when you arrived on campus? So I moved in. I mean, I'm not sure if you know or if a lot of people know this, but the week before classes start, University of Michigan Greek life has a thing called Welcome Week. And it's basically a week where Every frat, they will like partner up, like they'll get like these big name artists. We got B.O.B. this year. Last year we had Sean Kingston. We get huge DJs and it's basically like a week full of partying, like darties and parties every day, every night for a week. And so I moved in towards the tail end of Welcome Week when things like really start getting hot before like, you know, it cools off before classes start. And I remember driving through campus trying to get to my dorm. And just looking out of my window and seeing like these massive darties with hundreds and hundreds of people. And I was just like, what the hell is going on? Mind you, I'd never been to a party before. It looked like an incredible amount of fun, but also like an incredible amount of work. It was something like, you know, maybe I'll go to some, but like I don't ever want to be on the other side of it, you know, throwing it. Right. That was my initial impression. And then, you know, things very clearly changed. And here we are today, right? So I'm, I'm wondering if you were to sort of ask someone or maybe explain to someone why you think fraternities are, are good things. And based on your experience, you were in high school not thinking about this at all. There was something that changed for you. And now you're in one and you believe they're good things because you obviously are, are in one. I'm sure I'm, I'm curious, like, if you had to tell your parents, kind of explain to them like, hey, fraternities are, are good things. What are some things that you would say that make fraternities something that a guy should want to do? So I had to have this conversation with my parents because my mom, being from India, she moved here when she was 20, 21, actually. The only thing she ever heard about fraternities was the bad stuff you see on the news. Oh, you know, pledge killed. Oh, the fraternity suspended for hazing. That's all she knew about it. My dad 
he went to college here. So like he knew kind of a little bit of like the good stuff, but still like coming from their eyes, fraternities were like most of the world sees a very bad thing, you know, something you shouldn't join. So I actually think that joining Alpha Delta Phi was probably one of the best decisions I made in my life. Number one, probably coming to Michigan. Number two would probably be joining my fraternity. And I have to explain this to a lot of family members because a lot of them think the same way. And like, there's a lot that goes into joining a fraternity that so many people don't really realize. And I guess the best way to put it is that I have an older brother and I, I feel just as close to the kids that I pledged with and the kids that I'm brothers with as I am with my actual brother. And that seems like an absolutely wild statement that the kid that I lived with for 18 years is on the same level as the kids I met a year ago. But like that is what joining a fraternity is all about. You make those connections and you learn to build that trust that normally would take 18 years, but you can build it in such a faster amount of time. And it's not only that, like you also get the social aspect, you get the parties, you get the fun, but it's also the professional aspect in that like I can talk to upperclassmen, I can talk to alumni that are doing very similar things that I want to do. So I want to do investment banking and then maybe transition it to private equity. I can talk to alumni and I can talk to current brothers that you know have recruited for that, that are doing that over the summers. I can talk to them, I can get their advice, I can have them mock interview me, I can have them look over my resume, see if it's what it needs to be to get these jobs. And then it's also the fact that, you know, when you have like 60 brothers, which is on a very, we're on the very small end of fraternities at the University of Michigan. We're a very small frat. But like, even with only 60 brothers, like you have so many people that have taken so many different classes that you now have help with whatever class you're probably going to end up taking. Unless it's, you know, very niche and you might be the only one taking it. But most of the time, like for most of the classes I've taken, there's been a brother before me that has taken that class, has recommended to me, oh, you should take this class. Oh, it's really interesting. You're going to learn a lot. And if it's a hard class, you know, they're going to be there to help you. And like, that's like the back end of a fraternity that you don't see on TV. You don't see in movies. You don't hear about a lot. And it's honestly helped me out so much. Like, like when I took Calc 2, like that's how I ended up joining this fraternity. I met one of the brothers who had pledged the year before who was a sophomore and I met him in class and I remember coming over to the house to study with him and just getting to know the brothers little by little. And then I ended up rushing the next semester, but you don't see the academic side of the frat. A lot of people just see the social side and they don't think of everything else that goes into it. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's exactly right. I mean, the, the book that I have here were fraternities. I have a whole section in chapter six that explains directly those two things that you mentioned one is brotherhood which is what you explain that you have a, a group of guys who are your kind of ride or die guys i mean these are guys that you are as close to as your own brother and will be for the rest of your life but then secondly there is this aspect of professional and academic development right that you're a part of a network of relationships where guys also want you to succeed they want you to succeed in your academics. They want you to succeed in life in terms of your career and things like that. And they're willing to help you. And yeah, you were able to experience that right firsthand, right? I mean, would you say that's the culture of your chapter? You guys are really trying to help each other. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, 
I'm going to use the same line I used on my mom. I'm going to say it right now. We are not a fraternity. We are a literary society, which means that academics come first. If you ever have, like, this is quote unquote, what my chapter president told me and my mom when, because my mom was very, very concerned about me joining fraternity. So she made me FaceTime my chapter president, who is now my grand big. And so, like, I remember the word for word, what he said was that we are literary society. We are not a fraternity, which means that at any point in his pledgeship as his term as a brother, academics will always come first. If there is a conflict between academics and the fraternity, 100% it should be your academics. And in fact, I will yell at him to go to his academics if he chooses the fraternity over his academics. And that is the culture that we have is that we are a very academically oriented frat. And that's something that a lot of frats are and a lot of people don't see. But I think maybe we are just a little bit more so because that was our founding philosophy is that academics come first. Absolutely. And in fact, I mean, that's really how fraternities started in the first place. I mean, people don't know this in general, but they were literary societies that fraternities, when they emerged in the mid 19th century, I mean, they were primarily places where men would debate each other. They would learn how to debate. They would learn how to improve their rhetorical skills. The libraries in fraternity houses were better than the libraries at the university that they first and foremost were sort of finishing institutions for, for men to prepare them for life in the in the culture and for leadership in the culture. You had to be someone who was a man of arts and, and letters. So it sounds like your fraternity is sort of culturally an OG fraternity. I mean, you guys are, are really tapping into what fraternities were originally intended and designed to be. I mean, places yeah. that developed men both sort of academically but also professionally and also places where guys can have a lot of fun along the way yeah absolutely i mean we actually are one of the og fraternities we i think we were the third or fourth oldest fraternity in the world we were founded in 1832 and our chapter here was founded in 1846 and so i think a lot of those values that you were talking about about developing you're not only the academics and the professionalism, that was very much so the primary point of the fraternity when it was founded. I want to go back to something that you mentioned a few minutes ago about how you decided to to rush Alpha Delta Phi. Did you look at any other fraternities or was it just that one or how did that, you said you met someone in class, but what what was it that kind of put you over the edge? In terms yeah, of like, so- I, I want to be I want to be in this chapter. Yeah, so I rushed only really two places, and they were the two places that I knew guys at. Because, like, I'm going to be fully honest, I had no intent, even when I was rushing, I had no intention of joining. I was just doing it to get, you know, free food, have fun with guys, and, you know, just expand my circle. Like, I had no intention of joining. And all of the brothers know that, like, it's something that I think the majority of our frat wasn't really interested in rushing at the beginning. Like it's something like they kind of turned into. And so I rushed Kai Sai and I rushed here. And so what put me over the edge for Alpha Delta Phi over Kai Sai was that I had a semester long Calc 2 class where me and this brother, his name's Gavin, 
me and Gavin, along with one of the kids that ended up being my pledge brother, Noah, like we all sat together at the same table for a semester and we just knocked out Calc 2 together. We studied together. We did homework together. That was the start of probably one of my few friendships my freshman year first semester. And so when the next semester came around and Gavin invited me and Noah to a few rush events, he just said, look, here's a rush event. There's no pressure to join. Just come. I want you to meet the guys that I live with. I want you to just, you know, see if this is something for you. There's no pressure to join. If you don't like it, you don't have to come back. If you like it, you can always come back. But like, just try it out. I remember the first event I went to was an open house. And it was literally just, you know, of like 20 to 30 brothers just sitting in what we had, what we call main room, which is basically just a gigantic living room. And like, they were just, you know, talking to the PNMs, the potential new members, which would be me. And they were just giving us house tours. And so I went in, they check you in, like they write down your name, they take a photo. So the normal rush process at the University of Michigan. And I made a beeline for Gavin because he was the only person that I really knew I felt comfortable with. And then he introduced me to the rush chair, who is now probably one of my closest friends, which is Ethan. And Ethan gave me a house tour. Ethan, I think me and Ethan, we were both studying business at Ross. I think me and Ethan talked for about 45 minutes straight after that. And that made me just feel like extremely comfortable. And I got the vibe that, you know, this isn't like, you know, you're normally like fratty, frat, not just focused on the partying and, you know, the girls and everything. Like that was a stereotype I had in mind too. Like I very much so was subject to that own stereotype. I was like, this is way different than what I ever expected. And then the other thing that blew me away was that you also get the stereotype that, you know, frat houses are disgusting. Frat houses are like falling apart. This frat house was just as clean as my dorm, which, you know, isn't saying a lot, but it's still like relatively clean. It was an extremely good shape. When I got the house where the rooms were extremely nice, like I was like, you know, if they can take this good care of their house, you know, that says a lot. I mean, yeah, the basement gets a little dirty because, you know, that's where we throw our parties. But when you throw a party, you know, no matter where you throw, it's going to get dirty. The one thing that really, I can remember this, the one thing that really sent me over the edge that, you know, like I'm absolutely going to join here was that I remember like just over the process of Rush, you meet so many different brothers. And I remember that one of the brothers, his name is Connor. He's still here. He sent me a text and I'm a big golfer. I played competitive golf for four years throughout high school and I absolutely love it. And I remember that he reached out to me and he just randomly on like a random like Tuesday night. And, you know, I had a project to do and I had to, I couldn't go, but he just invited me. He's like, Hey, you know, me and a couple of brothers are going to miles of golf, which is a golf simulator about 10 minutes from campus. And he's like, I was wondering if you wanted to join us. It's not an official rush event or anything, but we know you like golf. So if you want to come on by, we'd love to have you. And I was like, the fact that, you know, they are still, reaching out to me even when they don't have to and they want me there. Like it's that sort of inclusion that I never really got before. Like like I said before, I was very much so a loner in high school. I had very few friends. And so to have like this random person I met maybe twice, have him reach out to me saying, I want to spend more time with you, like that kind of sent me over the edge. Yeah. So you really are telling the story of brotherhood again, right? I mean, 
yeah. Gavin is a central part of the narrative. And if you're listening to this, I think, and you're in a fraternity somewhere in America, one of the most important recruitment strategies you can have on the campus is just making friends with people. Right? It doesn't need to be anything flashy. It doesn't need to be anything. You don't need to have a huge house. You don't need to have massive parties. You don't need to have all the, the bells and whistles that people think, well, if our chapter doesn't have X, Y, and Z, we're not going to grow. No, you're going to grow if guys are willing to just make friends with people. Because it seems to me how you got in, like Gavin was real, was willing to invite you into his life and you guys studied together and he invited you to meet the other brothers. And so they were just kind of cool with hanging out with you. And the yeah. next thing we know, here you are a member of, of fraternity, which is such yeah, an awesome I mean, story. It's still something I, I think back on. I'm like, I don't, I don't know how I went from a hard no to a hard yes. And basically the time span of a week. Yeah. I mean, I think it's the power of knowing that some people cared about you and yeah. they wanted you around, right? I mean, you use the word inclusion. I mean, everybody wants to be a part of a tribe. I mean, every guy needs a tribe. Every guy needs a group of friends. And in ways that you had not experienced before, these guys were saying, hey, come hang out with us. And that's a huge yeah. deal. I mean, there's just so many guys on college campuses who need someone to reach out to them and say, hey, come hang out with us. Yeah. And I, I think fraternities any fraternity on any chapter can grow significantly just by having guys uh, reach out and, and do that. I was on the Alpha Delta Phi website and I noticed some distinctives that are listed there, the mission and some of the values. I want to ask you about some of these values and get your thoughts yeah. on them. I want to pay attention particularly to the mission of Alpha Delta Phi. I'll read it and then I want to just want to get your to get some of your thoughts or reflections on what this means means to you. It yeah. says the mission of Alpha Delta Phi fraternity is to provide a comprehensive and positive personal growth experience for all undergraduate and alumni brothers in these areas, social, ethical, leadership, scholastic, community service, and the area of literacy. I'm wondering for you, you sort of hear that mission statement. What does what does this mean to you that it provides this comprehensive and personal growth experience in those in those areas? I mean, it absolutely is one hundred percent true. It's ex exactly what we strive to achieve, and I'm going through it firsthand right now. I mean, literary, like I, I talked about it before. You know, we're all here to support each other. We're all here to help each other grow academically. Besides that, I mean, like ethically and leadership wise, you know. Throughout your pledge term, like we expect, like it's the honor code. Like if you screw up, like we expect you to, you know, own up to it. And that is something that is very much so drilled into you from the very beginning. Along with the leadership, you know, you, sometimes you just have to take charge when, when your pledge class has assignments it needs to get done. Somebody has to take charge and it just can't always just be your pledge class president or your pledge class vice president. And even though those are the people you kind of voted in, to represent your pledge class, there's still very much the leaders within your pledge class that aren't those two people. And you're given ample opportunity to become a leader. And it's something that once you are a brother, you have even more opportunity to learn how to lead and how to 
become a better leader even because, you know, as you become more involved in the fraternity, you know, as you join, you know, different types of boards and committees and, you know, you get elected to different positions, it's just something that you learn by experience. And that is something that is completely invaluable. Like you can't calculate how much you can only gain that by experience. And so it's just another opportunity for you to learn. And then like community service wise, you know, we are big on philanthropy. You know, we all give back. I personally give back a lot back home. So, you know, that also is another big part. Like we teach ourselves when we're pledges, you know, give back to the community, whether that be the frat. So like, I know that brothers, like when they come back from home, like if their parents have like a bunch of extra, you know, plastic cups, like they'll bring them back for the house. Or like if they have extra food, like, you know, they'll leave it out in the main room and just put a note, you know, free food. These small little acts of like giving back to your small community, that is really invaluable. And if you can do that just for your small community of like 60 brothers, when you graduate, you can do it to a much larger community once you have the means. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, yeah, that's something that we go for a lot. Absolutely. One of the things that I describe what makes a good fraternity, a great fraternity is when brothers, and this is kind of how I define what heroic fraternity is, what heroic masculinity is, is when it's when men use their power and their presence and their creativity and their strength for the benefit of their brothers and other people. And what you just said sort of absolutely nailed it. The, The guys are using the sort of virtue of generosity to help out their brothers in the house, right? To sort of leave extra things and say, hey guys, come, come and participate in the abundance that I have. I mean, it's it's a really cool yeah. thing. And it really speaks to guys who aren't being selfish, right? I mean, selfish guys and self-centered guys, guys who are really categorically tools are not like that. And if that's the culture of your chapter, I mean, that's something that America needs more, right? Men who are willing to use what they have to benefit others. And that starts with their brothers. It sort of starts in the community. And you're exactly right. If you can do it, and if you're willing to do it with those who are closest to you, scaling that up later is really not that big of a deal because it becomes a part of your habit. The website also noticed, I also noticed this, which I thought was really interesting. It said that we ascribe to the highest level of ethics. That was that's one of the values on the website that I saw. And I'm, I'm wondering, based on your experience so far in, in the fraternity, what does it look like for you guys as a community of brothers to aspire to the highest levels of, of ethics? If a pledge were to read that, what's he supposed to expect once I mean, he becomes a brother? What we aspire to is you're, you're responsible for whatever actions you make. And you will be held responsible for those actions you make. But it's also on you to take the responsibility for those actions. So, for example, you know, it's a house that can hold 33 guys. Right now, there's 26 guys living in. Stuff's going to break. When you're living with people, even if you're living by yourself, you know, stuff is going to break. Even if it's like something small, like, you know, you break like a glass, Take responsibility for it. Clean it up. You shouldn't like leave it around. We expect you to clean it up. Like it's like small things like that, you know, or if you borrow something from a, from another brother and you lose it, like that brother shouldn't have to hound you down for it. Like we expect you to own up to it, be like, come up to him man to man and just be like, Hey, I'm so sorry. 
but I don't know where I put your charger. I am more than willing to, you know, buy you a replacement one. I am so sorry. It's just, you know, small things like that. It always starts small, then it grows big. So, like, if you can be frank with one of the people you're closest to about losing something as small as, like, a charger or, like, a pen, once again, you can expand that to much bigger things. It always starts small, and then you can always go bigger. Absolutely. And that's part of that developmental aspect that I was talking about earlier, right? I mean, you guys are willing to hold each other accountable, and you're encouraging people to take responsibility for their actions. And why is that? Because you care about your brother. You actually care about the house and you care about the community. And you want a culture where you guys are looking out for each other. And that begins by focusing on some of those small things, right? Being clean and returning stuff that's borrowed. I mean, those are all really important aspects of saying that you are my brother. I care about you. And if I borrow something, I'm going to make sure I return it in the condition or even better than it was when I took it in, in the first place. I mean, those are those are really important things. And, and, and I'll be honest, I think those are a lot of the things that guys who are not in fraternities miss out on because yeah. they don't have the community that forces the friction. Right. So when you're just living in a dorm and you're not really friends with guys or you're just kind of friends There is no larger set of values that forces you to resolve conflict, that forces you to take responsibility. They don't have that. And so one of the benefits of being in a fraternity is just kind of getting you ready for real life in that sense. I mean, not getting you ready for real life. You are practicing real life because for the rest of your life, you're going to have to be a person who takes responsibility for his actions and takes responsibility for those actions and how they affect other people. I think what's really amazing about, about what you said, first and foremost, is that your chapter is a chapter that is developing guys to be mindful of the fact that their actions affect other people. And I'll tell you something, if there's something that America needs more than anything else today, it's some mature, grown men who are aware that their actions do impact other people. I was really fascinated by the articles that I read in the Fraternity Covenant. This article, too, I want to get your thoughts on here, because I I thought this was super, super cool. It says this, when you become a member of the fraternity, you pledge this, that that you do solemnly promise that you will strive to cultivate in yourself a spirit of kindness, conciliation, and goodwill towards every member of the society, and that whenever you may be reproved for a fault by any of your brethren in that spirit prescribed by the Constitution, you will receive such reproof with gratitude and that you will endeavor to profit by the same. What yeah, does that mean? I mean, how does that what is how does that look like? to be reproved with gratitude and to take your faults seriously and to do that with kindness. How, how do you guys do that? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, for just reading, going back through these articles brings back some very good memories for my pledge term, but not only that, but like the first part I think is, like, it's kind of less important than the second part, but like still like we want you, no matter if you have an argument with a brother, which is going to happen, 60 guys, all with 60 different personalities, you're going to rub someone the wrong way. But we still, like, you know, no matter how many arguments you have, we still expect you and you see, still want you to treat each other with kindness, goodwill. And, you know, like it said, like, you should never have animosity towards your brother because, you know, 
it's like if you have your own sibling, like, yeah, you're going to have your arguments, but you should never hold it against them for a long period of time. You should always treat them as you would want to be treated. It's like the golden rule, treat others how you would want yourself to be treated. And then that second part, I believe, is the most important part is that I've gone through this multiple times. As a pledge, you're going to mess things up 100%. You are bound to make mistakes because you simply just don't know. But when you have like your big or you have a brother pull you aside and be like, you know, hey, maybe next, like, they're not like they're not going to yell at you. They're going to be like, next time, don't do this. Or, hey, you know, you messed this up. It's on you to take it the right way. Like, they're not trying to insult you. They're trying to make you a better person. And the way you understand that is by taking it with gratitude. You have to take it as, you know, a piece of constructive criticism that, hey, maybe next time I don't do this. And that will make not only me that much better, but that will make the frat that much better. Maybe next, like, this is what happened to me, you know. I love to yap, 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 yap. I'm sure you can tell. But like I said before, I love golf. And I remember just talking the ears off when I was a pledge of brothers that didn't even play golf about golf. And I remember my big just pulling me aside into our library being like, hey, you know, chill with the golf. You know, we get that you love it. (laughs) My big also played golf. He's much better than I am. But he's like, you know, chill with the golf. You know, we love that you love golf and we love you. But you also have to learn, like, you know, there's a time and place to talk about it and you can't make it your entire personality. And, you know, that hurts. You can't make golf your entire personality. Golf was my entire personality through high school. So you're telling me I have to change, but he absolutely is right. I can't make it my entire personality. You know, that's something that is very one dimensional of me, if that's the only thing I can talk about. So, yeah, you might be angry in the moment when he told me that. But in the future, you know, that is some of the best advice I've gotten that, you know, You have to find these different facets of yourself. And that's the only way I could have ever learned that is if if I took that with anger instead of gratitude, I never would have changed. But if I took it with gratitude, I have changed and it made me that much better of a person. So you have to learn to take these small little comments that many people like you, especially these days, you know, they get insulted by these little critiques. But in reality, all we're trying to do is help you become a better person. And the only way you learn that is if you can take those critiques with gratitude. Absolutely. I mean, I, I couldn't have said that better. You absolutely nailed that. I think I think this is one of the things that makes being in a fraternity so developmental is that you're with a group of brothers who are willing to point out some of your imperfections and say, hey, maybe you should make these improvements because they want you to be a better person. I mean, they want yeah. you to improve. They want you to grow. And they're willing to say hard things. And so yeah, being like in a fraternity means this, that I'm going to open myself up to hearing hard things. I want to take those things as gratitude. And here's why. Here's why. Here's why I love this, this article, because the reason that you can take this stuff with gratitude, because you know your brothers actually care about you. Because they're yeah, your brothers. They're not doing it to piss me off. They're doing it because they love me. And the only person before in my life that has ever told me what I need to hear it's been my brother, my dad, and my mom. And that's something, no matter how close you get with your other friends, they're never going to tell you what you need to hear. That only comes from the people that truly care and truly love you. That's something that I've only gotten through my fraternity and through my own family. Absolutely. Article three 
says this, which I, I love this as well. It says that you do solemnly promise that in everything in which you shall stand related to the society, you will guard strictly your conduct and thoughts, that on all occasions you will strive to cultivate an amiable temper and kind, affable, and cordial manners, together with everything that relates to your improvement as a social and a moral being. A pledge reads that. He's like, okay, that sounds good, but what does that look like when I become a brother? What, is it, what does it mean to live this out in practice for you and in, in the house in particular? Yeah, I mean, I live in right now. Living with 26 guys, it's a lot of fun. It absolutely is. It's probably, once again, one of the better decisions I made in my life to live in. But living in with 26 guys, you're going to end up rubbing shoulders. And you're going to end up, you know, getting into arguments. And yeah, sometimes they escalate. But what we strive to do is be like, we want you to have an amiable temper. We don't want you to be hot-headed. We want you to have a cool, calm mind so that when, you know, stressful situations happen, when you get into arguments, your first reaction isn't anger. It isn't to get violent. It is to be kind. It is to be cordial. And it is to calm yourself down and calm the situation down. So that way you can truly get to the core of it and resolve the issue. That's happened multiple times to me and to other brothers living in the fraternity. You don't even have to be living in any brother that even doesn't live in. When they come in and we have arguments, you know, it is never meant with malice. It is always a kind. It is cordial. It never really escalates into screaming or fighting. It is always something that we try to aspire to because otherwise else, it just gets into a shouting match and you're never going to resolve anything. Right. And this is really, really important because one of the things that is marking your generation is the inability to resolve conflict. That is showing up in all sorts of social psych data that today's college students don't know how to resolve conflict. They don't even, they're actually conflict averse. They avoid conflict. And so one of the advantages, folks, of being in a fraternity is that the young men in the chapter are going to face conflict head on because they're going to have it. They're not going to avoid conflict. They're going to work through it. And on the other side of their conflict, they're going to learn how to work through difficult situations and still be great friends and yeah, still I have mean, a good time. Right. So tell me on the other side of your conflict resolution, what are your relationships like? There's been times where I've gone to very heated arguments with brothers. And yeah, maybe you don't talk the rest of the day. But I remember texting him the very next day. As soon as I woke up, it was, it was like, dude, I am so sorry. I should not have acted that way. And I truly apologize. I am really sorry. And he texted me back the same thing. And we ended up meeting up that day. And yeah, it took two days, but we ended up resolving our conflict. And that is what is needed. Like, yeah, tempers will flare. That is bound to happen. But as long as you can come back to each other the next day and say you're sorry and come to a resolution that both of you find mutually agreeable, then it doesn't matter. And in fact, it just makes that bond that much stronger. Exactly. Right. You actually it makes your brotherhood better. It makes you more close brothers. It makes you stronger brothers, just like in a family system, right? 
when you resolve conflict within the context of love and care and commitment to one another. I mean, this is why people talk about fraternities as a family. In the same way that you have conflicts with your brother at home in New Jersey, you have conflict with your brothers in your chapter. And guess what? You don't stop loving your brother in New Jersey just because you had a fight about something. You actually have a fight, you work through it, and you keep going. And in fact, the fight might have brought you closer together. It helps you understand the other person's perspective. When you understand a person's perspective, you not only learn something new about them, you learn something new about the world. And now, because you learn something new about them, you're that much closer to being able to understand them. Right. And this is just so key. Again, I think guys who are not in fraternities are just missing out on opportunities to experience this on both ends. They're missing out on opportunities to have really healthy conflict, to learn from it, to learn how to do it. And also to feel the reciprocity there and what happens when conflicts are resolved and how much more deep and how much more close you can become by having those really, really tough discussions. Article five, I thought was really interesting as well. It says this, you do solemnly promise that so long as you shall belong to the college of which you are now a member you will set up for yourself a high standard of intellectual attainment and that by a careful and diligent improvement for all your literary privileges, you will be faithful to yourself and to the honor of this society. What does that look like in your chapter? Yeah, I mean, if you look at our IFC, our Interfraternity Council, it publishes the mean GPA of every frat that is a member of this committee. And we don't have the highest GPA. We are somewhere like stack in the middle, maybe on the little upper end. But that's also because we don't have like, you know, those stereotypical majors of, oh, I'm a business major. Oh, I'm a communications major. Almost like 40% of the brothers are engineers, aerospace engineers, they're mechanical engineers, they're chemical engineers, they're biochemical, biomedical engineers. These are some hard ass majors that take a lot of time, they take a lot of work. One of my closest friends is a double math econ major. That's hard as hell. So yeah, maybe we don't have the highest GPA, but that's also because the brotherhood is taking that much harder of classes. And so that is that high standard of intellectual attainment that we are going to push ourselves to become as smart as we can be by taking those difficult classes, by taking on those difficult majors. And that last part, to be faithful to yourself and to the honor of the society, you know, we want you to hold yourself accountable, not only to the goals you set for yourself, but to, uh, you know, what you set your goals for in the fraternity. That if you said, you know, I want to take part in this committee, that, you know, you're going to put your 100% towards that committee and you're going to work towards that, you know, that is what we want from you. Like, you know, if you set a goal, we don't want you to shy away from it or change it because you don't think it's attainable. We want you to hold yourself to an extremely high standard, whether it be in the sense of contributing to the fraternity or your academics. You know, you should absolutely strive for the best. Absolutely. And you all are pushing each other in that direction, which I think is so remarkable. And the data shows this, that Students who are in fraternities academically outperform non-Greek students on average. And why is that? 
because they're in a community that actually has higher expectations and higher standards than the general population. They also excel in leadership. Why is that? Because like you just said, if someone says they're going to take a leadership role, you're going to hold a guy accountable to that and expect him to step up and perform, right? So it should be no accident to people that men in fraternities both academically outform non-Greek students, but also tend to rise in leadership, not just in the fraternity, but also in campus, because that's just what is happening inside the culture of the, of the chapter in general. And it spills out into other aspects of campus life. I want to ask you about some of the stereotypes that loom large in America about fraternities and some of the ways in which perhaps your chapter may be doing something a little different, a little off the grid that might be dispelling some of those stereotypes. I think what I don't want to frame in the whole project is that being in a fraternity means you don't have fun. I'm not saying that, right? But being in a fraternity does not mean that you're going to do what you see in Animal House or in some Zac Efron movie, right? It, it, doesn't, yeah. it doesn't mean that either. And so I'm wondering for your chapter, how do you all avoid some of the stereotypes that comes along with what people understand to be a fraternity, a guys just who are a, a bunch of underage drinkers who are binge drinking and sexually assaulting women and killing pledges and, and things like that. If a pledge feels uncomfortable doing anything at all, they are more than welcome to talk to any of the pledge masters, the president, the vice president, any brother, and they're not held to do anything. Everything that we do is optional. It is meant to be a team building experience. It is meant to be fun. So if you don't want to do it and you don't feel comfortable doing it, you don't have to do it. We will find you something else to do. I remember using this when I was a pledge myself thinking, I have a midterm tomorrow. Maybe I shouldn't be doing this because I need to focus and have my mind sharp. And I just remember telling my pleasure master, hey, look, I have a midterm tomorrow. I don't want to do this. And he's like, okay, sounds good. And he found an alternative. So, you know, that safety aspect of pledgeship is very, very important to us. And not only us, but, you know, the majority of fraternities around the world. You know, it's something that we take very, very seriously. And then the other thing you said about sexually assaulting girls, that is why, you know, we have SRC, which is our social regulations committee, which I am a part of as well. And that is the frats and stories. We go around and we police each other. You know, you're not allowed to serve open alcohol or open containers. So that means no jungle juice, no kegs, nothing you can easily spike which is an added layer of safety for girls, you know, that are afraid of getting roofied or stuff. We only serve closed cans. We only serve closed kinds of beer or of truly of twisted tea. This is stuff that you can't possibly spike because it's sealed. That's why we also, you're not allowed to have glass so that way people don't get hurt during parties. You're not allowed to serve any alcohol that's above, I think it's 8%, 8 or 10% of alcohol by volume. So that way you don't have girls blacking out and then, you know, being taken advantage of. It's also why we have sober monitors that, you know, try to keep our party environment as safe as possible. We try to keep everything as safe as possible. And, you know, that is something that we strive for. There are some better days and there's some worse days, but that is the goal is that we want a safe party environment. 
and we want a safe environment, not just for parties, but and for girls, but for guys, pledges, brothers. We want everyone to have a fun time, but not injure themselves or not do anything they don't want to. Yeah, and I think I think it's it's really important. This is something that I I also mentioned in the book is is that it's good on the one hand, and there are a lot of fraternity cultures across the campus, and a lot of student government student life. There's you're sort of encouraging the fraternities to sort of keep these spaces safe by doing the things that you said. There's also this aspect, and this is something that we sort of talk about in the heroic fraternity community. But it's also not just keeping women safe. It's also on purpose, like respecting them and and wanting what's best for them so that women know. I mean, I think this would be a great reputation on your campus that women know on your campus that the safest place to be as a woman on your campus should be in your fraternity house because they know that when they come in, they're going to be treated with respect and dignity and honor and care because that's the kind of gods that you are. And so they shouldn't even have to be worried about those sorts of things because they are in the alpha doubt house, right? I mean, they're, they're in your yeah. house. And because of that, it's going to be the best place for women on campus. It's the best place for brothers on campus. It's the best place for independence to be on campus. That the whole culture that you guys are wanting to create is a culture where people are better off when they leave than when they came because yeah, absolutely. they'll be treated with, with such respect. Yeah. I mean, the first thing we tell our pledges once they get their bid is that I remember during my first pledge education session, my pledge master saying, we have a zero tolerance policy for any type of harassment on girls. If a girl says that you have harassed her, you are gone. We do not care how much we like you. We do not care how much you like us. Bye. That is the way we run our parties as the way we run our pledgeship, we have the utmost respect for girls. And if a girl is feeling uncomfortable at all due to a brother's doing something due to a pledge doing something, they will be severely reprimanded. And if it is an independent doing something, they are absolutely thrown out as fast as possible. We don't stand for that. That's one of the challenges with kind of running a party is that sometimes you don't know who's in there. And there are guys who are real, I'll clean up my language, I'll just say tools, who go to fraternity parties, they're independents, but they go to fraternity parties because they want access to what fraternities provide because they can't get it on their own. And so a lot of fraternity parties have some really bad actors in there because they, on purpose, try to find those contexts and parties where they can take advantage of women. And unfortunately, it gives the whole fraternity a bad reputation because people associate that party, that event with that fraternity. And the person who did the event, the one who perpetrated the infraction might might not even have been a brother in, in the first place. What kind of guys do you want in the future? I mean, there's thousands of students at the University of Michigan. You guys have opportunities to recruit and build relationships with all kind of guys. I mean, what what kind of men would you say that you're looking for in the sort of next series or two of, of pledges on the campus? Yeah. So, I mean, like we said, you know, we want someone that, you know, will when you were talking about the articles before, you know, that is something we want pledges and brothers that, you know, will abide by those articles. We want people that realize that, you know, partying, isn't the end-all be-all goal of college. Your primary reason for college is education. 
It is not to have fun. It is not to party. It is to get a degree, to graduate, and to get a job. That is what comes first. We are looking for people who are dedicated to that and who are dedicated to not only making themselves better, making the people around them and the world around them better. And it's hard to tell sometimes because you only really get to know them for a week, but you can get a sense of, you know, who these people are and like, are they open enough to, you know, change and, you know, evolve over the next 40 years of their life that, yeah, I might start off one way, but over the next four years, I want to end up as a man who is academically oriented, who wants to make the world a better place, who is not selfish and who is there to help the community around them. And most of all, we want someone who is respectful, not only to others, but to himself, because self-respect is where it all starts. And if you can't respect yourself, you can't be expected to respect anyone else if you don't first start with yourself. Absolutely. And so we want someone who you know knows their boundaries and knows that, you know, has a strong moral compass that, you know, no matter if somebody asks me to do this, I'm going to say no. Like we want someone that knows in their heart what they want and, you know, will respect their body and has respect not only for themselves, but for other people. You want the kind of guys who already embody what the fraternity is about, right? And you're right. It is hard to tell because you only know them for a week or so. If you've been friends, maybe a semester, but you want to look for guys who are not resistant to those articles, who see those articles and are like, you know what? That's the kind of man I want to be. I'm not there yet, but that's the kind of man I want to be in the future. And I'm willing to be in this brotherhood to be pushed and shaped and developed to that aspiration of those values and that that mission. It's really fantastic. I'm really excited about what you guys are doing. I think you guys are obviously outliers nationally because you're focusing on so many of the developmental things that you mentioned. As we wrap up here, I'm curious to know what you think you'll say in 20 years when you look back on your college experience and your experience in the fraternity. What do you think you'll you'll tell your kids about why it was such an important part of your life and, and why it was one of the best decisions that you made while you were in college? Yeah, so I guess like this kind of starts with myself and, you know, some of my own values is that number one is loyalty above all. If you are loyal to me, I will be loyal to you. And, you know, that is something I value like a lot. It is one of my key values in life that, you know, for my brother, like there's nothing I wouldn't do for my, I'm talking like actual brother. Like there's nothing I wouldn't do for him. There's nothing I wouldn't do for my mom. There's nothing I wouldn't do for my dad. And, you know, joining a fraternity that has this expanded that group of people. There's nothing I wouldn't do for the brothers of my fraternity. And then the second thing I live by is I don't want to live with any regrets. Like, I don't want to go to bed at night thinking, you know, I wish five years ago I would have joined the frat. It looked like it could have been so much fun or it looked like I could have been a better person. That is something, you know, I don't want to live with. So, you know, those two things kind of drove me to joining the fraternity in the first place. And, you know, looking back at it, Yeah, I mean, there's the good memories of, you know, the parties and, you know, just having fun. But it's also the fact that I think the best memories that I have right now is just, and what really makes us different than, I guess, other fraternities on campus is the fact that we have 
I would say the strongest brotherhood on campus because we have mental health chairs. We have people, you know, that is their job. You know, if you ever have a problem, you're supposed to talk to them. But that's the thing. I don't need to talk to them because I feel that whatever I could have with a mental health chair, I could have with any of the brothers, whether they be seniors or the guys I pledged with. I feel that I could have that same level of intimate conversation about how I'm feeling, about problems I'm having, very personal problems I'm having in my personal life, whether it be like, you know, with a girlfriend or school, or if I'm just, you know, I'm stressing out about an exam and I feel like the world's about to end, you know, this is like stuff that I feel comfortable talking about with anyone in my fraternity, not just my big or my mental health chairs. It's that camaraderie, you know, we have weekly brotherhood events, you know, where We'll get all the brothers together with seniors to pledges so that way everybody can meet everybody. You're always connected. And it's not only that, like these brotherhood events, they're open to alumni that are in the area. We have a few seniors that graduated last year that are still in Ann Arbor. They're more than welcome to come back for these events. So it's a way not only for us to get together and bond, but like for us, for the pledges to get to know everybody. At these brotherhood events, yeah, you know, there's drinking of all like, yeah, we'll have like a keg race occasionally. But most of the time it's stuff like, you know, we'll have a bonfire in our parking lot. We'll just be sitting around the bonfire and, you know, talking, making s'mores. Or like we'll have a beer die tournament with soda instead of beer. It's not just about the drinking that brings you guys together. It's the fact that you're spending quality time together. And one of the most important things that we do is that we want pledges to get to know every single brother that is in the fraternity. And so we want them to reach out and talk to these seniors, you know, that don't live in the house, that to these juniors that don't live in the house, these upperclassmen that, you know, don't come around often, but they will come around for these brotherhood events. It's those memories, you know, at those brotherhood events that those are the ones that I will look back and be the most happy about. And it's not even just the brotherhood events. Like there'll be times like, you know, after parties, we shut the party down, you know, everyone's gone. It's like 3.30 a.m. It's like 4 a.m. And we'll just be sitting in the main room and having the most like deep conversations about what's going on in the world or like what's going on with you or like we'll just talk about the history of the fraternity. You know, we'll hear like these upperclassmen talk about what the fraternity was like when they were pledges. Because, you know, the fraternities come a long way when we were refounded in 2018. And now it's almost two different frats. So, you know, hearing that, you get closer. Like we call them pushes. Like we'll, we'll go to like Washington Dairy Push. We'll have like seven or eight brothers, you know, who are going to like an ice cream shop at like 10 at night. And, you know, just like the walk there, eating ice cream with them and then like walking back. Those are some of the best memories that you get when you join a fraternity. And that's something that, you know, if you're not in a fraternity, you don't really get. Exactly. And I think these are the sorts of things that are not depicted in movies. These are sorts of things that aren't depicted in news stories about fraternities. Brothers sitting around at three o'clock in the morning talking about their hopes and fears and failures and dreams and just sharing their hearts to each other. That kind of stuff you don't see. And I think, unfortunately, people are missing out on the brotherhood aspect of what fraternities are because they are reliant on these stereotypes. And I think what you described today 
It's just a really, really good description of the benefits of being in a fraternity. And it's sad. I mean, it's really, really sad that so many guys who probably would massively benefit from it. I mean, it's fair to say that you are going to be a completely different person when you graduate the University of Michigan than you were when you were a senior in high school. And that will be in large part because of what you experience in the context of being in your fraternity. Is that fair? Oh, that is extremely fair. You know, like I said before, I was very much so, I was a very quiet kid. I didn't say much. I stuck to golf and I stuck to my school. And I think I had one friend throughout high school. And I was a very shy, shy kid. And, you know, that's what, like, joining a fraternity, it brought me out of my shell. It taught me how to, you know, socialize. It taught me, the teacher, like, for guys like, you know, who aren't these social people, like, for me, like, who's an introvert, it teaches you how to act in social settings. It teaches you these invaluable social skills of, like, you know, oh, you know, seems like he's losing interest. Let me change the topic. Oh, you know. His body language is indicating this. I should stop doing this or I should continue doing this. You learn these small things just because you're forced to be social now. You don't have a choice. It taught me invaluable social skills that, you know, I can now use in my professional life, in my academic life, in my social life outside of the fraternity, like even physically. We have a gym in our basement and the house is very keen on pushing yourself for better physical health. So a lot of the brothers, you know, we work out together. We don't like we work out in our basement. We work out at the IM. We push ourselves to not only be better physically, mentally and emotionally. We want a betterment of you as a whole. So that comes, you know, learning social skills, learning how to work out. Because if you met me in high school, I was a very, very skinny kid. I graduated at 130 pounds. And coming into college, you know, I've been in the gym a lot, you know, joining a fraternity made me think about putting myself in the gym, becoming stronger, not only academically, but physically as well. I've seen the health benefits from that too. And, you know, if I didn't join a fraternity, I don't know if I ever would have pushed myself to go as hard in the gym. And it's like those small things that they build over time. And that is something that is completely invaluable. You can't calculate that in a monetary sense. That's really fantastic. And and again, I, th- I think those are the things that, that make fraternities great. And I wish those are the things that we saw more of on the news and also in, in movies. And maybe we can get Hollywood to watch some of these interviews and change some of their scripts in the, in the future. That would be really, really, really fantastic. And I'm just really excited about your chapter. I think what you guys are doing, the, the direction you guys are headed, the ways in which you're really sticking to the mission and values of nationals, I think is is really, really good. And and I think if you guys continue in this way, you're going to do nothing but not only grow, but have a more positive impact on your campus. So for Tim Shaw, thank you so much for coming on the Anthony Bradley show to tell the story of your chapter, to tell your personal story and to really help America see that fraternities are not these horrible places that are making people worse off, but in fact, they're making men better, better for their campuses and better for the country. So thank you so much for joining us on this episode of The Anthony Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for the opportunity to tell my story and tell the story of my chapter. It's truly been an honor. Thank you so much. 
Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for being a part of this episode and joining us today on the Anthony Bradley Show. We are immensely grateful for your continued support and unwavering dedication to our incredible Patreon community. Your generosity and commitment have allowed us to bring thought-provoking discussion to the forefront. Your support enables us to amplify important voices and explore critical topics that shape our world. Thank you for being the backbone of this show. If you enjoyed today's episode and want to be a part of our community, we invite you to like, subscribe, and share The Anthony Bradley Show. Please take a moment to leave a review and share your thoughts. We value your feedback and are always striving to deliver content that resonates with you. Once again, thank you for joining us. And together, let's keep the conversation going, expanding minds, and making a positive impact in our world. Stay tuned for more episodes of The Anthony Bradley Show from Grand Rapids, Michigan at the Acton Institute and Kuiper College. Thank you.